Welcome to Freestyle Thoughts, a dance podcast. I'm your host, Anna, and this is episode two. Today, we are going to be talking about Chinese dance and what that means and looks like in more specifics. While some of this information is informed by research, links in the description, most of this information is informed by my personal experience. So please be aware that this will have some personal takes as well as factual information. I will also be referring to specific dances by name. So firstly, please pardon my Mandarin because she's super rusty. And secondly, I've linked the dances I'm referring to in the description as well. So please feel free to take a look at them if you want to visualize what I'm talking about better. Okay, before we start, I, okay. For anyone who was con remotely concerned, which is probably no one, it took me like two more days after recording that last episode to hatch my shiny sprigatito. And then after that, I hatched two, like two more shinies and then I found one roaming. So I don't really know what's up in my sprigatito look there. So unfortunate, but we got, we got him. It was great. <laughs> but today's episode... I wanted to establish a baseline of understanding of Chinese dance to try to help you guys visualize what I mean by Chinese dance when I'm talking about it later. I think it's good for everyone to have like a baseline of understanding of these things I'll be talking about throughout the rest of the, this podcast. But I know what? I'm also genuinely passionate about sharing the rich history of this thing that I've been doing for the majority of my life, honestly. Okay, first, let's get a basic definition of what the umbrella term of Chinese dance means. I've mentioned before that Chinese dance doesn't necessarily look like one thing. What I mean by that is when someone says ballet or hip-hop or whatever, right, it's pretty easy to kind of see what that is in your mind already. It's like the Nutcracker, Swan Lake, or like hip-hop. I don't know. <laughs> We all know, we, are, we all have a basic understanding of what that is in our mind. We, are, we all have like a prototypical image of that. But Chinese dance, at the end of the day, people don't really know what that looks like, you know? Because it's not quite folk dance. It goes a little bit, there's a lot more unexpected training than one would think. But it's also not quite... It's clearly not super mainstream. So it, it, it's, it's it, at the end of the day, it's a label for just a really broad category of things. So if you think of Chinese dance as a, like an origin term, right? For example, like it's a tree, like it's like the one point on the tree, right? It's the origin, whatever. And then there are two like main branches of Chinese dance that I want to make clear. It's, and that would be traditional dance and classical dance. Traditional dance in general refers to dances that are more rooted in, you go figure, traditions and customs. It's something done at festivals or rooted in minority ethnic tradition. And more specifically, what I mean by that is it's, it's, Dragon dance, lion dance, uh, Mongolian dances, Tibetan, etc. On the other hand, classical dance is <laughs> everything but that. Much more than traditional dance, classical dance is influenced by traditional performing arts, martial arts specifically, and also ballet. And as a result, classical dance tends to be the style that is more often modernized, if you will. I'll go into that later. Today, we are focusing on classical dance because there are so many things to talk about for both classical dance and traditional dance. So we're splitting it into two episodes. Wasn't my original plan, but it's what it ended up being. So classical dance, I've gone over it a lot. And I think the best way for me to give you some sort of image of what that looks like in general is to provide an idea of what Chinese dance training and what like what that looks like. So as a recap, classical dance 
influenced by a general set of Kong traditions and Chinese martial arts, but and also ballet. And I want to emphasize that ballet part because, you know, in regular classes, regular training, we do a lot of exercises at the bar. We do position jumps and just like other general like ballet basics. A lot of the technique that we learn are actually ballet technique. And I will say though, I was talking about this earlier today. I actually don't know the French names for the ballet technique. Listen, I, I know the Chinese names for them because my dance teacher growing up only spoke Mandarin. So I learned the, the Chinese name for them. I have no, many teachers have tried to say like do X thing. And I have to make them explain to me what that is because I don't know. I don't know the, the ballet term for it or like the French term for that, you know, <laughs> but Besides ballet technique, there are also techniques that we train in that are specific to Chinese dance. So, for example, there's this broad category of technique that are based on the fanshan, which is basically just a body turn. And this is actually an instance where it takes more influence in martial arts. Anyone who knows martial arts and knows specifically wushu and like the body turn this is the dance version of that so for the people who who don't know that and don't know what a fanshan is and don't know what i'm talking about when i I mean body turn i'm gonna try to break it down for you best as possible so a fanshan has your lower body like your legs doing a very basic turn one foot's in front of the other and then you just untwist them until you're like, make until you're facing the front or whichever direction you started again. Okay, right. Um, the upper body is where more people tend to struggle with it. So you're supposed to keep your arms completely straight, like 180 degrees with each other. Okay, and let's say that you're doing a fanchen to the right. So that is like you're turning to the right. Then the thing is, when you start one, your left arm is actually starts bent. And you're right before you start the turn, you straighten that you straighten the arm out to like the 180 that we talked about. And it kind of makes it look like you're turning a little bit faster. But most this is this is where people tend to struggle because when you're doing a fenchen at full speed, not breaking it down, most people tend to overextend their arms. A lot of beginners tend to overextend their arms and like like by engaging their shoulders. So it's like their arms are more than 180 degrees. And so it could be a little bit tricky. And then move more on what this turn looks like. Um, so you're spotting like a lit, your head is down. Your head is looking at the floor and you're spotting a little bit in front of you. And you're supposed to keep your body, you're like your upper body in one place. So if you were to do a fenchen up against the wall, your head should not move up or down during that turn. So it should actually be engaging your back a lot, particularly if you're doing a broken down one, like we do for true beginners who are learning how to do a pension. So your arms should be in that turn, making like a full circle um, instead of kind of like having it angled one way or another. So like you kind of have to like push your shoulder up. So different from the overextending, that we were t- that I was talking about earlier. Like what I mean by that is like if you were holding two markers and then you were to do a fenchen up against the wall, like your the end should have a full circle on the wall. What a lot of people do is like they let usually usually the top of whichever arm is on top first um, to fall back a little bit so it would not be making contact with the wall. I think that's the best description I can come up with to be quite honest. It's hard to explain. I think there are videos of it on YouTube. To, it's, it's all over Chinese dance, but if you wanted to look at like specifically what like the most basic fanchen is, I, I don't I don't like promoting Shenyun, but they had a technique video at some point, and I, this may or may not have been in it, and I, I, I couldn't find it though. <sighs> Sorry. But if you looked it up on YouTube, I'm sure there are other... There's probably other... Um, videos that can demonstrate it so you can actually see what it looks like 
But there are a lot more difficult iterations of a fanshan. Like there's a traveling one. Um, there's a jumping one. There's a continuous one that they do continuously in like in one spot. Uh, one that you do with your legs, etc. Not legs, but like there's like something that you include with your legs, and so on and so forth. Um, I would say this is that to give you an idea of when you would start learning a fanshan because you're not like learning, you know, the most difficult technique to begin with, right? But a fanshan is such like a building block piece of technique that I would say kids training in Chinese dance learn how to do a fanshan extremely early. Like kids, like the first, the two first techniques that they learn are fanshan and it's a broken down fanshan. So it's not a full fanshan. So they do it in like, like what, eighths and then in quarters, then in halves. Um, and then they learn how to do a pinduan, which is chenet mm, turns, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? I'm I'm gonna say it confidently. Pinduan is chenet turns. So those are the two very, like kind of first more advanced technique, like technique away from the bar, that kids would be learning Chinese dance like and uh, like a traditional Chinese dance training. Like you're training from like a young age training, like. You know? <laughs> but then there are some other very kind of specific things. And one of those things is actually how, you're, how you hold your hand. One of the most classical examples is, is Lan Hua Shou. And that basically translates to flower hands in reference to both hands. Um, so this is when you touch your thumb to your middle finger and just kind of keep the rest of your fingers straight and you flare out the rest of the finger of your fingers in a way that's not like straining. I don't know how to describe it. Your thumb is touching the base of your middle finger. And then I feel like naturally the rest of your finger should just kind of follow. <laughs> um, and this is just like the default, okay? Like there's some other like ways to hold your hand, like how you point a finger. Like if you're pointing at something, like how you point is like there's a specific way to hold your hand when you do that. Or then there's like straight sword fingers, which is, b both are less common. <laughs> uh, but usually it's like hua shou. And like to the, it's, it's such a, again, it's such a, a default, such a basic to the point when you're teaching a, a Chinese dance, particularly a classical Chinese dance, you have to, spec you, you have to specify when to not use Lan Hua Shou because again, it's just such a default. This, I will say this rule does kind of change for, cer for certain traditional dances, but classical dance, Lan Hua Shou all the way, baby. Actually, fun story, fun, really brief story. Again, I was, I, we all know that I've been doing Chinese dance from a really young age. So by the time I went to university, Lan Hua Shou is default ingrained into my brain to the point where I'm thinking, okay, I put to the point where it's like synonymous. It's almost just like, it's just an instinct that I've since that I have developed. And you know what? I go to university, I join basic. There's no Lan Hua Shou. I don't know what to do with my hands. I felt so awkward. And I knew that Lan Hua Shou was like not the answer. But you know, we weren't really told what to do with our hands. So like, like as a default, there was no default in k-pop hip-hop basic no, no no default no default hands just do something <laughs> and for a year i felt so awkward about that like it took me a year to get used to that isn't that crazy but yeah that's what a basic basic overview of like what the training will look like for chinese dance so let's talk a little bit about taxonomy Sounds okay, it sounds super boring, but I think it's super interesting. We get to talk in specifics now. <laughs> Classical dance, unlike traditional dance, has I would say less strongly defined subcategories, if you will, because of the wider influence on classical dance. I think the borders between categories tend to be more blurry, and honestly, a lot of the resources I found on online usually would cite either very specific dances or refer to classical dance as a whole with the exception of like maybe like, of like literally like maybe one style 
And the thing is, classical dance actually ends up looking like a lot of things. For the most part, okay, for the most part, these categories do not have official names. Therefore, with the exception of the one or two styles, I am going to be using terms that I use for myself and just know that these are not the official labels for these dances. <laughs> and again, we will be talking in specifics. Links in the description um, if you want to have a visual of what I am talking about. Okay, so the first style that we're going to be talking about is probably the only style that is... If, if, if an article separates different styles, this is the style that they will differentiate from classical dance just because it looks so much so different from the rest of it. It's very distinct. And this style is called Dunhuang. Dunhuang dances draw inspiration from Buddhist imagery and apparently the Dunhuang frescoes, hence the naming convention of the style, I would assume. From my research, it actually looks like Dunhuang has like a really, a, a lot more of a rich history than I initially thought. And I, to be quite honest, did not have enough time to go to do a deep dive into that. So you know what, maybe... Maybe one day I will for the sake of this podcast, if not for my own curiosity. But let's talk about what the style actually looks like. This style in execution uses a lot of imagery or the dance names a lot tend to refer to fairies. And I will say the costuming definitely helps this imagery. <laughs> it's, you know, elaborate hair-like headpieces, vividly colored costumes. Usually they have like these like, ribbons along the arms. And then arguably the most iconic, at least the most iconic to me, the flared pants. <laughs> Generally, if we're talking props, Dunhuang dances can be propless. Can they can be. But that, those dances tend to be extremely specific, I will say. It is so much more common to find ribbons or scarves or even like pipa. And I will say, if you see like anything with like a scarf or a pipa, definitely do well. If it's a ribbon, 99% of the time, it is going to be, it is, it's going to be do well. Uh, the other 1%, it's it's still it's still gonna be classical. It's it's just probably it's just gonna be one of the other categories. There are some interesting quirks in the execution of the style. First of all, let's talk about hands, as if we haven't talked about that enough already. Again, when it's when it is not the Chinese dance default hands, it is okay. Now bear with me. So you say you have yet an open hand, right? Um, straight fingers, and then you're going to curl your pinky towards the center of it. It's, that is the hand that, that it's, that's used a lot. Um, second of all, I would say Dunhuang is almost all about making these really stylized silhouettes, which a lot of it includes either some sort of balance thing and also putting all of your weight like onto one leg and like then popping your hip out. It's really hard to describe, but like once you see it, you know what I'm talking about. I will also say that I have found in when I've had to do the style of dance that having a flexible wrist is it's helpful. <laughs> Another quirk of the style is having a lot more of flexed foot for specific poses. So usually the default, you know, is, is pointed, right? But for some reason, Dohuang uses a lot of, a lot more flexed foot for uh, poses or leg holds or balancey things um, that would otherwise require like a pointed toe and other styles. I will also say though, now that I'm thinking about it, um, again, there are some uh, traditional ethnic dances that also follow this rule of like more flexed foot but we'll get there when we get there. 
So let's talk about specifics. You will notice that for the section, the two dances that I have linked have the same name, which is unfortunate. This is what I mean by the naming convention being referring to fairies. So the first Feitian, Feitian 1, this is the ribbon dance. For those who won't watch this video, the ribbon is basically this, just this really, really long scarf. It's pinned to the back of the costume, so it's a little bit different as opposed to like two separate like entities in the hand, which do exist, they're just less common. Also, fun fact, the music for this piece, I believe the English name is something along the lines of like images of Dunhuang, something like that, okay? And this is actual, this kind of, this is used a lot in Dunhuang style dances. I've seen it particularly used a lot in ribbon dances, but I just want to point out that there is no hard and fast rule that this video's choreography is the one is the one and only that goes with this music. Of course, that's that's true for any piece of music, but I've noticed a lot of different interpretations with this music specifically. A lot of the Dunhuang style dances that I have seen, it, they 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 just use this piece of music. I, I don't know. Like, I can guarantee if you look up Feitian, there's going to be, <laughs> there, there, there would probably be a lot that, a lot of videos that have, that use this music. I don't know why. <laughs> so let's talk about the choreography. It starts with a lot of making those silhouettes that we were talking about, uh, particularly 30 seconds in. See how all the weight is like on her back foot and then the front foot is crossed over. That stance is just particularly common. Like that is like the most iconic silhouette you can make. As you can see from this choreography, ribbon dances clearly put a lot of emphasis on how the ribbon spins and moves with the body. So as a result, a lot of this choreography tends to be either some sort of like ribbon twirling or specifically turns. What I mean by that is this, that tends to be the, a showstopper, you know? So that's the, in this video, it's the spins are at the end of the dance. I would say in general, Dunhuang just prefers jumps. Like if jumps are to be found somewhere in the style, it's gonna be ones with pupa or just like no prop. I didn't link an example because the second Feitian is <laughs> wild. <laughs> so speaking of Feitian 2, I mean, I have less to talk about the choreography, kind of. But you can see from the get-go, it is very different from the first Feitian. Like I said earlier, there's no hard and fast rule in Chinese dance or dance in general that any piece of music can't be reinterpreted. But there are some pieces of music that are more closely tied to the choreography. Think um, in ballet, like the, the four, the four swans. I don't know what that dance is, but it's the same choreography, same music. That, that doesn't mean that there isn't somewhere out there that someone has a different choreography with that music. You know, I will say that this Feitian, Feitian two is this choreography tends to be much more tied to this music specifically. Or vice versa, let me, the other way around, actually. You know, the music's more, this music is tied to this choreography. So, <laughs> it's actually a special quirk of this very specific version of this dance. So, we talked about how Zunghuan style just prefers drums and tends to prefer, like, turns, balancey things, various T-toys, or, like, leg holds. Very clear from this video, from... This, this Feitian, that they are showing off these various balance-heavy movements. But you know, one thing that you will notice? Something to, one, they are extremely balanced in a way that, yes, professionals are going to have a really practiced sense of balance, but this is almost really balanced like, like like the strongest winds can't knock them off of their one foot okay also something is really off when they kneel so turns out of course that there's a reason <laughs> it's awful apparently what i heard 
was that these dancers were bolted down to the platform to ensure that they'll balance perfectly. That this that if there if there were the strongest breeze, that wouldn't knock them over. And if that sounds like it it could cause problems, it, it did. <laughs> You're correct. It definitely caused knee problems and I'm guessing some other problems. So I would say subsequent versions did not do this. Um but there are not a lot of like recreational studios that have attempted this dance because they aren't going to bolt their dancers to a platform one and two this dance requires so much balance that it's really hard to do this choreography with zero to very little changes <laughs> but more broad strokes of this video uh, this is this is this is what i mean that duhong tends to depict like fairies in dancing Music is very grand that you can see from the very beginning. Also helps with the high production value, um, the fog and um, the, the fans pr producing a very uh, light breeze and also the fact that they were being lifted into this fog because the stage elevated. I don't know. Personally, this is my least favorite style of dance. Let's move on to styles that are influenced by traditional performing arts and other kind of aspects of Chinese culture. So, kind of first broad category, um, can, are there the dances that are, are inspired by the picking opera? I want to emphasize that while these dances borrow aspects from picking opera, these dances are very different. Like costuming, makeup style, the singing and the music, the same or similar, influ clearly influenced, but the performers themselves aren't necessarily performing or depicting certain characters or a story or anything. Peking Opera actually has a fascinating history of its own, but in terms of what I want to talk about for this podcast and this episode, I, I'm not, I don't really have any experience in doing dances inspired by Peking Opera. I haven't seen much of these personally, and I haven't done one, and I know next to nothing about picking opera, and all the resources I found online were specifically about picking opera. So you know what? I I I, prov I, I can provide you with a I'll provide you with a brief history of picking opera, but I'm not quite sure how much this translates to the dances that are influenced and inspired by picking opera. So picking opera is a form of traditional Chinese theater that originated in Beijing. And it combines music, song, and dance, and also apparently acrobatics. <laughs> its birth year is commonly cited as 1790. And it continued fairly strong until the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s, when apparently all forms of traditional theater were banned. Picking opera, however, was ultimately revived in the 80s and continues on to this very day. Of course, this is a summary of a summary, and what I've seen in my research, Peking Opera has a very colorful, colorful history. So if anyone is interested in reading on about this, it's very, it's a very, it's a very interesting lens to view more modern Chinese history. So as I mentioned, Peking Opera and Peking Opera inspired dances aren't the same. Uh, these dances borrow like the same style of costuming and makeup conventions from Peking Opera. Um, they often include some like elaborate, vivid costuming and like these elaborate big headpieces. Uh, the video I've linked below is named Bai Hua Zheng Yuan. You can hear some of the influences from picking opera and the music through the singing, which is like about halfway through the video. I would say a clearer influence of this is actually in the second video I've linked, Chen Gui Meng. You can hear in the first second of this of the second video, it sounds similar to the first video. And what I mean by what I mean by that, it has sim similar musical motifs as in Bai Hua Zhen Yan. But when the music changes, you can definitely hear that Peking Opera influenced singing. But the dance itself doesn't have any particularly identifying features. 
in, in either of these dances in the same way that Dong Hwan does. I would say that's just because I, I want to say that a lot of the influence is clear, more clearly shown through the staging of it than the dance itself. I, I hesitate to call this a style. Uh, style in air quotes, I guess. Usually, references to picking opera, it's, it's a lot more subtle than it is outright here. Like, to the point where I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as, like, these, as, like, a pecking opera-inspired dances, but more so as, like, oh, that's just, like, an influence, but that's, like, not the main driving thing, you know? That's not the main identifying thing. So, uh, keeping in the trend of influences from, like, Chinese culture in general, let's talk about dances that are specifically influenced by wushu. We've already gone over how the Fan Chen is very much just the dance version of a, mar of, of a wushu body turn. So it's clear that there's influence in the technique already, but the other way could be also true, you know? It's a chicken or the egg. There are dances that it's, it's clear that the influence is from wushu and not the other way around. Overall, Chinese dance borrows from straight sword forms. And I have actually linked one of a straight sword form down below. Sometimes the influence is very clear. It's just a straight up sword stance. I have linked one below. And obviously you're going to be using some of that straight sword technique from, from Wushu in the sword stance. Um, it's just a, reasons can be safety. The reasons can be this is just how this weapon is wielded, etc. And what that's going to look like, it's uh, the stuff that the dance tends to borrow more is more of like how the sword points at stuff or how in the video that I've linked how they hold the sword when they're running at the beginning of the dance or how they hold the sword during the body turn etc. There are some techniques that's just dispreferred like stabbing and slicing in general is just uh, it tends to be more reserved for wushu than it is for a sword stance. But overall, it's, you know, the influence is pretty clear, pretty similar to most straight, straight sword forms. Uh, I'm, straight sword forms are more of high beginner level, particularly heavy in the basics than some of the stuff, more advanced stuff that you can see. But, you know, sometimes it's just a little bit more subtle. The second video that I've linked, Xiang Wang Xing, it clearly has influence of the straight sword forms. Um, stabbing movements, ironic. I, I know I just said stabbing movements are dispreferred in swords dances, but this is a little bit different. Like if you hit your neighbor with your fan, like the danger is less than stabbing your neighbor with, with a straight sword. And I just want to point out that these straight swords are like, they, they can cut paper, but they're like flimsy. They're not like hard. In the straight sword form, like the, the wushu form that I linked below, it, it makes like, this, when you stab it, it makes a noise. Or when they do like a, that one point thing, if you're doing it properly, it, it makes it makes a noise and that's because it's the metal is it's flexible so say you stab someone really slowly the sword is going to bend but you know if you stab someone fast enough it's, it's going to hurt like you can definitely cut paper with these straight swords just want to point put that out there anyways um what was i saying uh xiang wang xing that dance okay it, again so the influence from straight sword uh, it's clear with the stabbing movements, just kind of general silhouettes and poses, um, kind of just like stances, a lot of the kind of like more squatting like stances. Um, also specifically, I just want to point out that movement where the dancers flip the fan over their head and they, they put it against their wrist. Um, that kind of happens throughout the video, but like the first instance of it, it's pretty early in the video. It's, it's very straight sword, straight sword coded. I would say though that dances that are so heavily influenced from martial arts are it's it's rarer. But funnily enough, um, the reason why I actually was I was able to find Xiang Wangxing is because I, I was there I'm learning that dance and the one of the girls that I I dance with, she it's so interesting because she has never done anything but Chinese dance in her life. So she was telling me Oh yeah, a super girl boss energy, and you know what? Coming, it's so that just it's so interesting. I'll probably talk about this in a different episode, but it's very interesting to me that she that this was the thing that she 
proclaimed as girl boss energy. I mean, I don't think she's wrong. From a Chinese dance perspective, Tian Wanxin is definitely girl boss energy. <laughs> okay, on that note, we're going to move on to the next self-labeled category of dance. <laughs> and those are, uh, I've called them like dynasty-based dances, but it's like, you no know, da dances that are very, some in some way clearly influenced by like one of like the dynasties of China. I would say that these dances, they don't look necessarily like one thing. Like they can range from something more modern or to something a lot more traditional or something even like really specific, you know? In general, these dances are much more identified by their costumes than their techniques. Sometimes there's something in the music that kind of indicates that it's going to be dynasty inspired, but it's kind of hard to necessarily detect these kind of dances if you're watching a practice video, for example. So I want to say that some of these dances can be a lot more uh, technically difficult than some of the previous stuff that we've been talking about. So for today's episode, I'm going to be using examples from three different dynasties, Tang, Qing, and Qin dynasties. So firstly, Tang dynasty. Um, generally identified by Han, by like the Hanfu, which is like the, the robes that were worn during that time and the costumes are just like in the Hanfu style. Um, these tend to be like more elaborate, elaborate dresses, elaborate robes, uh, with these like particularly long squared sleeves. Like it's, it's that dynasty. And more so than other dances, I would say that Tang dynasty inspired dances focus their focus on a lot of movements that show off the sleeves so that this will these dances will use things like fanchens turns just kind of showing off those sleeves you know uh since the costumes themselves emphasize these sleeves i would also say that these dances just also just dispreferred jumps um it's it they use a, these dances use more titue also. Just uh, they prefer titue over drums. Just let's just say that. I would also say that these dances tend to use a lot of a, the hip in a way that Donghuan does not, and I don't really know how to describe that. Like, like the Tang Dynasty dances use the hip to kind of like accentuate movement. The, it, it's not like to make like a silhouette, if that makes sense. Also, just like as a little quirk, um, covering the mouth, I would say is pretty common pose or just like a thing in this dance style. The video that I linked for this style is called Qingping Diao. And fun fact, I want to say that this music or melody is pretty commonly, uh, pretty commonly used for different choreography. But from what I've seen, it's only tongue style dances. And I think that's probably because of instrumentation. The bells that are pretty prominent in the beginning are these Chinese uh, chime bells called bai zhong. And bai zhong, bai bian zhong. I butchered that the first time. And bian zhong, bian zhong is... And I think that's just because of the instrumentation the bell's prominent in the beginning of the music. I think I think there are these Chinese chime bells, which are called bian zhong, and apparently these were these bells were actually they, these bells have a rich history themselves. So they were de developed in the Zhou, in the Zhou Dynasty, but they were changed during the Qin and Tang Dynasties. Honestly, I'm not really sure if those are the bells used in the music here. But that, 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 that's definitely my guess of, as to why a lot of dances repurpose this music, but for other Tang style dances. Mm. But as if you watch the video, you can see uh, this dance is very much showing off those sleeves with the turns, general preferred movements that somehow just can't show off the sleeves. Occasionally having movements to show off like a technique or a tutoy. Clearly this... This version of Qingping Diao uh, 
does seem to have some sort of narrative. You know, Solus is the queen. Other dancers seem to be handmaidens, I would say. Uh, I don't know. Generally, I want to say that while dynasty-style dances can pretty easily have a more storytelling element um, than, like, maybe, like, Duhong or some other styles later on, I would say that there are just as many dances that just don't have some sort of narrative through line, but this one just does. So next dynasty-based dance I want to talk about is Qing Dynasty, uh, identified by Qi Pao. Uh, I think more so than Tang Dynasty dances. Qing Dynasty dances most definitely do not really have a certain style in terms of movements. I mean, like, it's, okay, look, costume is Qi Pao. Modernly seen as the Chinese dress, so it's, it's pretty flexible in terms of how easy it is to move in them. And there's nothing particularly that the costuming itself particularly emphasizes in the same way that Tang Dynasty Hanfus have like the sleeves. I will say though, sometimes Qing Dynasty dances have the flower pot shoes or they're not the flower pot shoes. I don't know. But I, I personally haven't used these kind of shoes before. But from what I've understand, it takes, you know, it takes some time to get used to them. It's basically a really small platform that you're walking on and you, there's like less area for you, for you to balance on. So it just takes a little bit. So I've linked the video that I've linked uh, for Qing Dynasty that also features the shoes. It's called Xiao Wei, Xiao Wei. And it's actually, this one's another one that kind of has a story with it. So it's about this girl who gets these new shoes, super excited about the new shoes, but you know, she, she, she ditches them. Difficult to walk in, uncomfortable. We've all been there. Uh, it's just kind of as a side note, I, you would notice that all of the videos I'm linking, they're professionals. But I could not find a professional for Xiao Wei, Xiao Wei. And I don't know why. I knew this dance existed. My friend did this dance way back when we were, when we were both in high school. And I could only, the, the best one I could find was the one of the, uh, the, the, it's the video that I've linked. That's the best one I could find. And I just want to say this kid doing this dance she's 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 cute and you know what she's doing a really good job considering that she looks to be particularly young so you know what good on her for killing it okay i just want to point out that i have not been doing a very good job to kind of emphasize my points that dynasty based dances kind of just reference dynasty and costume <laughs> but i will say that xiao wei xiao wei has more overt referencing with the shoes hence the, the <laughs> Bad track record so far. But most style, dynasty style dances um, are kind of like the third video that I've linked. Qing Feng Shu Lai. I believe the costume is a Qi Zhuang, which believes to be a Qin dynasty. But, you know, another just general disclaimer. I don't know my dynasties particularly well. Outside of Tang and Qing dynasties, I'm out. <laughs> and not even then. I just can't identify them by, by like the clothing. Outside of that, I'm out. I can't. <laughs> um, but in Qing Feng Shu Lai, there's nothing... There's like there's not like a story to tell. And there's kind of... I, I, there's nothing really in the music that's particularly telling. There's... Mm, at the... Uh, mm, almost at like the end, like the music change for the end. I think those are those bells that we were talking about earlier because they were around... No, actually, never mind. I... Yeah, I know, because they, they were around during the Qin Dynasty. They were modified during the Qin Dynasty. So maybe that's the, like the only thing in the music that signifies that it's, it's Qin Dynasty. Specifically. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the choreography itself, it's, it's not particularly anything... Like, there's nothing identifying about it, you know? Completely personal note, I love this dance so much. I I don't know why, but I I think it might be that little bit when they're in the cube, doing kind of like more like like sharp fast arm combo kind of energy with a fan, and then they go straight into like this music that requires like flowing movement. So it really takes a lot of of it, it's it, you're kind of switching modes from something that's like like dun da 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 dun like like something that's really like sharp to something that's really that flows a lot better and not flows a lot better but it's really 
it's like smoother, you know? I don't know. I, just, I think maybe because that reflects kind of what I've had to do for the past handful of years. I, I just like that section so much. <laughs> but I, again, the, the dynasty styles and dances, they're not hard categories. And they're just kind of categories that I have in my head. And that's because uh, there are more modern dances that kind of take influence from these like dynasty-based dances. And I, I know I wouldn't categorize them as dynasty dances. For example, Yi Meng Jing Hong. It's clear from the movements that it's like a lot more stylized. Um, like there's something particularly tell. There's something particularly telling about like the bouncing and the silhouettes. But on the other hand, it follows a trend of more modern dances, of taking a more lyrical, uh, more modern, more modern song. And there's like you know, there's nothing that really lends itself to a particular dynasty, or at least not to my knowledge. So I guess I'm sure, with the exception of the Tan Dynasty, it, most of the like dances that are inspired by a specific dynasty of China are more defined by like, costuming, sometimes instrumentation, but it's usually just a little quirk of the staging. Okay, now we are on to our biggest category, and that is Han style dances. So technically, Han dances are ethnic dances but that doesn't make it a traditional dance because traditional ethnic dances are in reference to ethnic minorities whereas Han is the largest ethnic group in China so as a result Han dances you know we put because of the technique um partially because of the technique and just like execution um and the fact that it's you know it's, it's not it's 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 not a minority group, <laughs> um, we, we put that in classical dance. So, I mentioned you know it's the biggest category classical dance. Therefore, Han has a very wide range of things, um, and it's honestly better identified. But what it's not, <laughs> I will say what's co common props are those like half circle folding folding pants I was talking about last episode. Um, there are these specific kind of handkerchiefs, um, and then also circle pans, um, but also common to just have nothing, like no props, in which case, default hands. <laughs> um, honestly, I would say if like a Han dance is telling a story, it's, it's, it's either like depicting like a flower or like springtime or like loaded. Eh. I would say if a Han dance is not telling a story, it's, it's depicting fla some flower, usually lotus or a peony, or it's just, like, referencing springtime in general. Like, that's, like, the most common motifs, I would say. <laughs> um, costumes for these kind of dances um, tend to be a much more, like, simple headpiece, like a, like a flower, the hair, less nothing nothing near the stuff that we would see for, like, di Dynasty-inspired dances or picking off for inspired dances. But... I mean, otherwise, other than that, it can be a large, large range of things. Let's talk about these handkerchief dances really briefly. I've linked one. Uh, I've linked one called Pan, and this video, you know, it's fairly old, so pardon the quality. But I need to impress upon the fact that handkerchief dances—it's a staple, <laughs> and honestly, it's usually very common with really young kids. Like it's the kind of like, like it's one of the first dances that they do, kind of thing. So the basic technique is very easy to pick up on, but you know it scales in difficulty pretty quickly. So, for example, in pan, it opens with the dancer tossing their handkerchief in the beginning, and I would say that that's more of a beginner intermediate basic spinning, which is featured slightly after that. That is truly a basic. That's like you learn two movements with the handkerchief, and the spinning them is that's that's one of them. But, you know, later in the dance, uh, the dancer tosses the handkerchief like, over, her, over her shoulder. And I would call that a more advanced technique. Uh, apparently, there's also this technique that, like, I think she does it in this dance. But there's some technique that you kind of toss it like a boomerang. And my dance teacher asked me if I could do this. Like, she, she, she used the phrase, you toss it, and, and you toss it out, and then it comes back to you. And I said, like a boomerang? And she said yes. So, apparently, there's that technique. I don't know how to do it, but it exists. But for an idea of what one, what the basics look like, and 
two, what kids would be learning kind of like where like kind of the ceiling tends to stop for most people learning, uh, for most people like who know like handkerchief technique, I've actually linked a video uh, called Joy. I, 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 there's, there's not a Chinese name for it. It's an original dance. The music has been repurposed from a different dance. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I needed to find an I needed to find a reliable kind of like amateur studio. And you know what? This one's pretty old. It's from 2008. But the reason why I knew that this one existed, fun fact, um, I, this was the, one of the dance schools that I went to when I was a kid. And I'm actually in this video. See if you could spot me. <laughs> uh, I would say the most advanced technique that kids learn is best showed off in like with showed off at like minute three within three minutes like the tossing is the most advancing tossing as in the same one like at, at the beginning of pen but the basics you know they can be made more impressive by including things to emphasize like flexibility or balance or t2a whatever let's talk about some of those dances that produce a, a narrative or even like a loose narrative i would say a common theme is the lunar new year which i mean i guess go figure right <laughs> So Hong Dong Long is an example of being with New Year's themed. Um, there's also one that I can't find a link for anymore, but it depicts a woman being reminded of her childhood after seeing this kite fly by. And the beginning of the dance for like, I want to say 30 seconds to a minute, I would say there's this group recitation in the music, like almost chanting of this poem that describes the ritual, the traditional rituals to be done before the new year. And I really wish I could find that video. It's, I guess the, it's like lost time, but I, I, I remember most of that poem, believe it or not. I remember the choreography that went with that poem. So fun fact. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that, you know, new year's narratives or new year's adjacent narratives are exclusive. The other video I've, Linked is called Inside Chujang, which the narrative is about a woman who sneaks into a school of men and kind of struggles to fit in, but you know, figures out how to, how to do it at the end of the dance. I get the feeling that this dance specifically references some something else, like some other like classical story or something, but I am not sure and I don't really know what to look up to figure that out. It's it's just more of a hunch, if anything. I mentioned this earlier, but I don't think I can emphasize enough the flower theming. If you're not a flower, the flower's on your costume. If, if it's not a flower, it's springtime in general. I've linked one called Chen Chen Yu. Uh, no, no narrative, anything. It's just very springtime energy. This is kind of the, like the energy. This is what I mean. There's even like a, there is, there's even like a handkerchief dance that it's, that's springtime themed. The handkerchiefs are the flowers, and it's interesting. I, I didn't link it, though. <laughs> I'm not sure if the next category will be called Han, um, but these are the next few kind of categories I'm going to be talking about are going to be much, much smaller um, in, terms of, in terms of how common they are. So, for example, there are the much more ballet-coded dances, and these are the dances that either show off technique um there's often it's a piano music or like more kind of just general classical chinese music i would say that these dances are not performed for like an audience generally um there's it's more treated as an exercise and, and right rightly so um the only time you would kind of really see one of these like on stage being performed um is probably at like a dance recital for like a recreational studio any costume that they're generally used for this. It's something really basic, some sort of like long sleeve mesh over like a black or white t-shirt of some sort with like black leggings. It's like extremely basic because it's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be flashy. It's supposed to be an emphasis on technique. I've linked a video as reference. It's super classical. As a complete side note, I've always really dreaded and hated doing these exercises for performances. Ballet technique, firstly, has always been my weakest point, I would say. And secondly, these sort of exercises, I don't know. I don't find them particularly encouraging or like, stimulating for me. No jumps, no body turns, just pure Chinese dance basics, which I, 
I understand it's important to develop and refine. I just don't know why we have to perform this for a group of people. Like, if I'm bored, the audience is bored, you know? <laughs> and especially given if you don't really like the dance, for example, like... Like, like I don't like Dunhuan style dances. We established that. But, like, from an audience perspective, it's at least stimulating. Like, Dunhuan ribbon dances, it's it's easy to not get bored from an audience perspective. Even if, even if there's nothing, like, personal at stake. Like, you're not, like, watching your friend or kid dance. It's just, you're just watching some rando dance. And I, I find it, like, like, I hate that style personally when I do it. But, like, it's, it's interesting from a stage perspective. These ballet dances... I'm guessing, are not interesting from a stage perspective. When I come across them on YouTube, I watch about a minute in, and then I skip to see if anything interesting happens. And is that a bad habit? Maybe, but I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm just complaining because I've had to do a lot of these kind of really ballet-heavy dances before, and, I just, and I'm not a fan. I'm not here for it. <laughs> But you know what? At the end of the day, I would say Chinese dance is still a modern dance form. And so that means that it will be built upon and mixed with other dance styles outside of ballet. So for example, I would say that in general, Transcend Studio does a really good job at showcasing this duality, having really modern dances that show a much that are like much more classical in nature, juxtaposed with dances that blend more, something more like hip-hop into it. I would say with the rise of TikTok and kind of short-form dances, that these dances are... It's still a niche, but it's a growing niche. I want to say one of the most iconic and well-known of this kind of more modern blend is Mangzhong. And I've actually linked it below. You will notice um, that it's clearly a repost because it's by the Transcend Studio. And that's because the original video got struck with some sort of copyright thing, I'm guessing. Honestly, the, the entirety of Transcend YouTube got struck with like some weird copyright, but it's on Billy Billy. But if you, you know, if you listen to any of the kind of like the Han style dances or the, the, the ballet inspired dance that I've linked, there's kind of it's all instrumental or if they're singing it's just kind of like ahs and oohs or kind of like indistinct like not super distinct chinese lyrics right and you will notice uh pretty quickly that manjong is different musically it's it's like a song you know like that has lyrics a lyrical song <laughs> um and yeah, I would say that's kind of a, lot, a large part of, like, this, of the distinction with like more modern Chinese dance. Um, talking about the dance, uh, first of all, you can see that they're clearly holding lang hua shou, or hua shou, because it's just one hand, I, I guess, technically. And they have these really graceful, clearly like Chinese dance-inspired movements contrasting with these like more snappy and sharp movements that are clearly more inspired by like, kind of like how you would hip movements and hip hop. And I just want to say the part about a minute in when they turn around and bring that fan, the, the, like the fan to the face, that's super classical, super classical. <laughs> but, you know, Transcend Studios, I said earlier, they have a lot of these like hybrid dances, but other studios are also doing kind of more of a mix with this hip hop snappy style than like flowy modernist. Chinese dance style, if you will. Um, generally, it's kind of hard to find, and I've usually come across the non-transcend ones purely by chance. But for anyone who's curious um, or kind of enjoys the style, I've linked another one that's kind of similar to Mang Zhong. Um, this, uh, the one that I've, I've linked is San Bai Gong Chen Liang. There are also other more modern dances that blend closer to lyrical, like Ren Jian Yan Huo. Um, you can tell that it's, you know, just, like, it's much more modern lyrically, uh, than it is kind of classically styled, but, you know, the costuming generally, I would say, regardless of what the dance itself looks like, tends to, to root it more in, you know, Chinese dance, like, Ren Jian Yan Huo uses, like, a more modern, uh, so it's just, it's, it's whatever. 
the costume link doesn't really have any like connection, strong connection with choreography or style, um, unlike some of the other previous styles that we discussed today. There is something that I've wanted to talk about and something that you may have noticed if you watched the videos that I have linked or kind of just glanced at them even. Um, all the videos that I have linked are to have women dancing or women presenting usually with the, like literally two, like one exception. And I will say that more that like men in general or male presenting Chinese dance, Chinese dances, they're present. But the style, first of all, tends to be very, very different, even if the underlying technique is the same. Honestly, I really don't know about the more masculine side of Chinese dance. Um, in my experience, it's I've only seen women and girls do Chinese dance at the recreational level. And it, it, it just tends to be a lot more common in at, at, at Chinese dance studios. It's just kind of how it is. I mean, it's you can go on YouTube and you find dances with 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 guys in it, dances that are much more like masculine presenting dances. For example, like the the fan dance that's inspired by like the straight sword form that I've linked earlier. That is not necessarily a female female coded, right? It's not necessarily feminine. In the same way that um, the shoes dance is like kind of feminine, you know. Or how the Tang the Tang uh, Dynasty style dance is particularly feminine. But again, like we 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 said we we were we already said it when we we're talking about that dance in more specifics. It's it's rare. Those kind of dances are rare. Swords dances, you know, straight sword is not specifically a feminine thing, but for some reason, the the swords dances tend to be executed by women, and that that might just be a thing because tradition. Um, I don't know. I don't know. As we kind of get more modern, as you kind of saw for oh, the Transcend video, um, particularly, there's also another uh, studio that that also kind of is similar to Transcend in the sense that there's another like male lead dancer doing the same choreography as like the women. And I, as we get more modern, that's just going to be more more common. Even in my Chinese dance club in university, there is nothing that explicitly specified that it was women only or anything of that energy. However, the people who tended to be attracted to my club as a participant, women or female presenting, and that made me do a more a certain style of dance, the less, the more feminine style of Chinese dance. And I mean, like they're out, men who do Chinese dance, traditional, Chinese, like traditional classical dance, it is, they're out there, but they tend to be professionals, first of all. Um, and, you know, I think men, who, I don't know, there's a lot, if we could talk about gender and how we present gender like all day. In the end, I think that this is honestly kind of just a result of culture and a result of kind of like maybe a misguided, a misguided tradition. Which to put it to put an end to, to my ramblings. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you know what? We will put a pause on our episode or on our uh breakdown of Chinese dance for now and Please join me next time where I will go into detail about the traditional side of Chinese dance. You know, may maybe we'll get more of my personal takes on Chinese dance if time allows. And you know what? I am going to absolutely try to find dances with, 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 with men in them. Um, because I, uh, I want to say that I've of, of the dances with men in them, I've seen a lot of, a lot more of them 
doing classical, a lot more classical dances that fit that, this very minimal, like, filter. But there is one specific dance I do know um, that's, an, that's a traditional dance that has men in it. So, you know what? We'll see. We'll try. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I will do an episode specifically on uh, Chinese dance with men in them. I'm so sorry for my rambling. Please join us next time. <laughs>